Uh, best announcements ever. Sure. <laughs> All time. That's too far forward, I think. And thanks, Matt and Rima, for leading us in worship, too. It's, um, isn't it good? Yeah, it's good. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago that we weren't meeting together. So I just, uh, I'm so grateful every time I get to be in a room full of people worshiping together. It's uh, a special thing. Well, uh, good morning. If this is home, welcome. If you're visiting from out of town, welcome. If this is your first time and you're like, what are all these people doing in this room? You came to church. Um, and, and you're welcome as you are. Um, me and Kurt, this is the first time I'm getting to actually see that sweater. Uh, I, I hadn't, hadn't seen that yet. Uh, he had a jacket on and I greeted it. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm not, I was not going to be able to do the next 25 minutes of my life without acknowledging that. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever your week was like, you're welcome here, as you are. Uh, around here at the Mustard Seed, we're fond of saying God loves you right where you are, and he loves you too much to leave you there. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Yeah. So today's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we'll see if um, see if all of our lighters work well today. Yes. So uh, Sunday number one in Advent of the four, hope. And then there was faith, yep. And then, yeah, joy. A little too much coffee this morning. Shaking lighter. Uh-oh. Our hope went out. Uh oh no. You will be hopeful. You will be hopeful. It's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. This is why they said to pre light. So I was like, oh, pre light? Come on. <laughs> coming. 
A kingdom has come, and it will come again. If we zoom out a little bit, Advent is this season that reminds us that we're part of a bigger story. We're part of a story that's got a beginning and a middle and an end. It's a story of humanity, but it's a story of God's kingdom. And in the beginning, he created all that there is just with the word of his mouth. He set us in a garden with himself. We had unbroken fellowship and communion with God and man, this unbroken relationship. And then the fall, and the fallout, and then you have generations and generations and generations of heartache, both in humans and in God, as he watches this creation that he loves, you and I, and our disordered desires, our broken relationships, all the different ways that the fall affects you and I. And then the promises of a redemption to come, of a savior that would be born that would set it all right. And then a bunch of waiting, and then a little baby's born into a manger in a little town called Bethlehem, lives 33 years, is crucified, raises again, and says to his best friends as he's leaving them, I will come again. And that's where you and I find ourselves this Advent season. Waiting for what? Waiting for a kingdom that has come and will come again. Jesus was clear that his kingdom was inaugurated with his coming to us. And there's a mystery here because there's also some not yet to that kingdom, right? Oh, thank you, Kurt. The sweater and the sweater. Yes. Our hope has returned. Oh, I feel so much better already. So this can be a little bit confusing. There's some now and not yet involved in this kingdom. Clearly the kingdom has come in Jesus, and it will come. He will come again. And I believe God's heart this morning is to remind you and to remind me of the peace that we have, the peace that we have now, and the peace that's coming. This week, the theme of Advent is peace, as you might guess. And if you're lighting candles at home, that's the one that you'll light this week. Thomas Merton said this about peace. You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your lives, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. We find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of our lives, but by realizing who we are at the deepest level. So let's just agree this morning that, that the peace that you're looking for is not going to come by the rearranging of the circumstances of your lives, of our lives. Would I love for some of the circumstances of my life to be arranged? Yes, I would. But that's actually not where peace is going to be found. What does peace mean to you? It's an interesting question and a good place to start. If you had to describe it, what would you say? Maybe it's that, uh, that feeling you get when you finally put the kids down at the end of a long day. Or when the promotion finally comes at work. Or when the relationship finally comes into your life that you've been longing for. Or maybe you're in a stretch of good communication with your partner or your people at, at the office or roommates. I, I don't know what peace means to you. If you grew up in church like me, it, it could even uh, have a bit of a cliche nature to it at this point. Peace on earth. Looks like, feels like a coffee mug saying or like a, a bumper sticker. 
You know, have you seen no one pray for world peace? Except for it's not world peace, it's world peace. Yeah, so uh, all, all sorts of different definitions <laughs> of peace. I just know for me, peace is the thing that, or one of the things that I long for the most. And when it's not in my life, it keeps me up at night. When the pieces of my life, the parts of my life are out of order, I feel this ache. I feel this like uh, sort of tension or anxiety in me. It keeps me up at night. And it's, a, it's an important thing to, to grasp what it is to you that peace means. Because as, as Rama mentioned, even in worship, one of the names that Jesus is given by Isaiah in that prophecy hundreds of years before he's born is that he's our Prince of Peace. And actually, I, I, wanted, I wanted to look at that together. This is Isaiah 9. I backed it up just a little bit from, from the verses that Raymer read this morning. Because I wanted to start, again, with context. You and I are in the midst of a story here. And it's not just peace in a vacuum. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And on those dwelling in a land of deep darkness on them light has shown. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to, this is funny, it's a different uh, that's not the NIV we're just going to go with that. <laughs> Blame Wayne. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's different when you read those first couple verses, right? <laughs> On those living in the land of darkness, on those dwelling in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Wow. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be... I read this like 17 times this week, and every time it gets me. Every time. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. I almost want to close in prayer right there. <laughs> all right, that's good. Let's all go home. Um, on those living in the land of darkness, a light has gone. The peace that has come for you and I, and then at the end there, the peace that will come. When he comes again, that the government would be on his shoulders and the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. So back to that word peace in the English. Peace would simply mean the absence of conflict. And as someone who loves to avoid conflict, I like that definition of peace, but it's um, not nearly as full as what the Bible would say that word means. That he be the prince of the absence of conflict? Well, I, I think that's partially it. But I want us to watch this video together from the Bible Project as a way to begin to wrap our brains and our hearts around what the Bible means when the Bible says that he is the prince the of word. peace. Yeah. Peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eren. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect 
whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex, with lots of pieces, that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals were missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole, it needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Ereina. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. And Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Ereina. He was the whole complete human that I may to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brian. So not simply the absence of conflict, but the presence of something better. When the Bible talks about peace, it's talking about far more than just the absence of conflict. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some tension with peace, which is a funny thing to say. I have some lack of peace with peace. I have some tension with peace. I mean, I... I believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I'm doing my best to live my life following Jesus. And uh, peace, peaceful is not how I would describe this last year of my life. Or the year before that. Or really any year that I can think of. So how can he be the Prince of Peace when there's so much chaos in my life and in the world around us? How can he be the Prince of Peace in my marriage ends in divorce? How can he be Prince of Peace and the company that I work for that I love is filled with relational chaos and friendships are lost and 
how could he be the Prince of Peace? And yet, at Advent, at Christmas time, we celebrate that he is, in fact, the Prince of Peace. So we have to wrestle with this tension of if he says that that's true, why does my life look the way that it does? I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's wondered that. I, I don't know where your tension with peace is this morning. Maybe, uh, well, how would you describe your last year? Peaceful? Does it make the top three of what you would use? No, probably not. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if it does, I want to come live at your house. <laughs> if peaceful is how you would describe your life, I want to come live at your house for a while. I think that tension is something that we all feel. We say something like, I believe he's the Prince of Peace, but look at my life. So clearly there's some not yet to this whole him being the Prince of Peace. Is it because I don't believe enough? Is it because I'm not worthy of him bringing peace to my life? Is it because he's not who he says he is? Is it because he's not good? We have all of these questions when we have this ideal of peace and then the reality of what our lives look like, yeah? If he's the Prince of Peace, how can this world cause such heartache, such pain, such loss, so much fractured relationship? And that's, that's what I want us to have a conversation about this morning. Because I believe God has a lot to say to us in his word about how he wants to be Prince of Peace for you and I right now, and how to teach us to live as we wait for the peace that will come when of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. So, uh, a couple brief examples, actually. So, Wayne showed me that video on, um, I think it was Thursday. And I was like, dude, they stole all the, all the scripture I wanted to use. Uh, but it's actually, it's worth going back to mention just a couple things that went by quickly in that video. So, just a couple quick examples here. Um, Romans 5.1, yeah, there it is. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop for a second. The Prince of Peace made peace between you and God. He's not disappointed with you. He's not angry with you. He's not distant from you. Why? Because Jesus made peace between God and humans. That's not something you're waiting for. Can I be clear? There's a lot of peace that we're waiting for. That's not it. You have a relationship with God again that can be characterized by belonging and love, closeness, friendship. Why? Because you've been justified through faith and he has made peace between you and God. You no longer have to worry or wonder if God's disappointed with you or mad at you. Secondly, Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. So, if you feel like you're far away, if you feel like an outcast or an outsider, we all work because we couldn't have been in that close relationship with God. The shalom of you and I walking with God was broken by the fall. And Jesus comes and is our peace and says there is no more separation. You who are far away have been brought near. You don't have to stand on the outside anymore looking in. And even more, Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for God was pleased 
to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So peace has been made between you and God. You do not need to wait for that. That's your reality right now, sitting here in this chair in the community center in Palisade. <laughs> you do not have to wait. There is no barrier. There is no distance. There is nothing that can separate you from God because the peace that's been made between you and God depends not on you and your performance. Did you hear me? This does not depend on your track record. This does not depend on your efficiency, your uh, evangelism efficiency quotient. This does not de depend on you at all. This depends on him and his blood. His blood has made peace for us. And we celebrate that, even as we celebrate this baby in a manger later this week. Second main point, I'm going to go to Mark 4 for just a moment. You'll, you might remember this story. Uh, Jesus has just taught his disciples and some of the crowd that has gathered around a series of parables, one of which being the mustard seed parable. Come on, Mark 4. And uh, he then says to his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's get in the boat. They do. In the middle of the lake, big storm comes up. And now you've got these seasoned fishermen who have spent lots of their life in boats, and they are freaking out. They wake him up, terrified, screaming at him, don't, oh, because he's asleep in the back of the boat. Don't you care that we're going to die? Except it probably wasn't said with that level of calm that I just used. Don't you care that we're going to die? Listen to this, Mark 4, 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The, um, Mark, the eyewitness account that we get in Mark, records Jesus using the Greek word, siope, be still. Peace, be still. Siope, be still. It means, it's like he was saying to the wind and the waves, be quiet. Enough. Like a teacher would to a, a high school classroom full of rambunctious high school kids. Come on, Caleb in the back. I see you, bro. Like Caleb saying to a bunch of uh, noisy physics students, enough. Be quiet. That's, that's the word Jesus is using to the wind and the waves here in Mark 4. He's taking away the voice of the storm. That's what he does in our lives. He takes away the voice of the storm because he himself is our peace. He takes away the voice of the circumstances to take my peace from me. So the storms still come. You know this. I'm not telling you anything new. Loved ones still die. Jobs still get lost. Relationships, relationships still get fractured. The very fabric of our country at times feels like it's being pulled apart. And in the midst, we can still hear him saying to us, Siope, be still. So often, I think we, um, we're tortured or we torture ourselves, not just by the, the events of our lives and stuff that happens, but by the meaning that we make of the things that happen to us. So loss, some sort of pain, uncertainty, and not just the event itself, but then what 
meaning I attach to it. So uh, because this thing happened in my life, I feel worthless. I feel unlovable. I feel like I'm particularly broken. So it's not just the thing that happens. I then make meaning out of it. And it like go, continues to torture me long after the event is over. And if we will listen in the midst of it, he's saying, siope to the storm. You no longer have the power to tell Adam who he is, twist, who he lied to Adam or to you about who we are, about who God is in the midst of storms. He takes away the voice of the storms to tell us that God isn't good, that he doesn't care, that he's not for you, that he's not paying attention. If we'll listen, he's still saying, seal obey, peace be still. And some storms literally are calm. I was a backpacking guide for a number of summers for, for young life. And we'd take high school and middle school kids into the backcountry for a week at a time. And some days I can't um, fathom that we used to do this. Uh, <laughs> that I used to think this was a, an awesome time. Um, <laughs> we'd, we'd take kids, most of them from the city, from like very suburban uh, upbringings, and we take them into the wilderness for a week at a time, everything that we needed on our backs. And so we'd be in the high mountains in the summertime, Colorado and Wyoming, and if you've spent any time in the mountains in the summer, you know, the afternoon, what's coming? Thunderstorms. Yeah. And I can remember so many times sitting with like a huddled group of kids under like the, the biggest tree we could find as a storm would come roaring up whatever valley we were in or on top of whatever ridgeline we were on. I have prayed for lots and lots of storms to be silenced. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Are you with me? Some of the storms that we pray for are going to be silenced, and some of them are not. I don't understand that part of it. I don't know how that all works. Not sure what to do with that, but I believe that one of the ways that Jesus is our peace right now is that even when the storm isn't calmed, he takes away the voice of the storm to tell me who I am. Or to tell me who God is. Even if the storm isn't silenced. Oh, that is good news. That is good news because the third point is this. Peace and trouble can coexist. <laughs> peace and trouble can coexist. Remember, peace is not just the absence of conflict. Come on, somebody test <laughs> John 14, Jesus is having his last conversation with his friends before he's arrested and goes to the cross. He's telling them all about the kingdom, about where he's going. He's going to go prepare a place for them. He's telling them about the Holy Spirit he's going to give them in his absence. And listen to this, John 14, 26 and 27. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And if you've drifted off this morning, come back. Come back and hear him say to you, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I get a picture of like, My peace. I want to give you my very. It's like. Uh, him pulling out part of his heart where the peace in his heart resides and going, my peace I give to you. 
And just two chapters later, he clearly says to them, this one isn't on the screen, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. And check this out. In this world, you will have trouble. So the guy who just said, I'm giving you my own peace, I've told you all these things so that you will have peace, in this world, you will have trouble. Is that bizarre to anybody else? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Catch this. Jesus, the long-awaited Savior, the Messiah, the one prophesied about and waited for, here he is on the scene, and his words to his best friends are, expect trouble. Expect trouble and don't lose heart. Expect trouble and don't be afraid. Expect trouble and I will be at peace. Peace and trouble in this life coexist. You're not doing it wrong if your life is not full of peace. You're not doing it wrong if your life is full of trouble. They can coexist. In fact, Jesus is telling us to expect that they will. I picture him with an arm around, I don't know, Peter or John's or your shoulder, looking you right in the eyes and saying, friend, this is how the world works. This is just how it works until I come again. Your heart will break, loss is real, you'll experience chaos, and one day I will right every wrong. One day I will bring back together all of the shattered parts, and all will... And all will be well. And for now... I'm giving you my peace in the midst of your trouble. And by the way, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a counselor and a comforter and a friend and an advocate between now and then because you're going to have trouble and you're going to need an advocate. You're going to need a counselor. You're going to need a friend. And so he leaves us the Holy Spirit. It's that advent that we're reminded that life with Jesus doesn't insulate us from trouble. It simply promises that we have peace in the midst of it. He's the Prince of Peace, a little baby born into a refugee family on the run, hunted for the first two years of his life. And then in the four eyewitness accounts of his adult years, all we get is chaos after chaos after chaos after disruption. And then, after all of that, those three years, he's arrested, unfairly tried, and crucified. This is the Prince of Peace? <laughs> yes, in this world, you will have trouble. And yet, what we see of him in the pages of this book is a master class. A master class in a life, a life lived in peace in the midst of chaos. Not some sort of nirvana, kuda matata type peace, but like in the blood and the guts and the misery. A peace right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the grit. This is a prince of peace that can be trusted. Trusted with my chaos. So where does that leave us this week as we journey towards Christmas and walk with this prince of peace? 
I want to talk just briefly uh, as the worship team comes back up about some ways that you and I might live into him being our Prince of Peace, even this last week as we look forward and wait for Christmas. It's our hope that uh, Sunday morning is, is a foundation um, in your life with Jesus, but certainly not the high point and not the only point. The expectation being that you would go home and do life with Jesus. And uh, as you do so this week, here's a couple things that uh, I feel like the Father's got for us as we walk with the Prince of Peace this week. Number one, acknowledge the storms. Acknowledge the storms. I don't know where the lack of peace is in your life, but you don't need to pretend that it's not there in order to be a good Christian. You don't need to stick your head in the sand and pretend that it's all good. Brother, how you doing? Oh, too blessed to stress. You, you can be honest about the storms that still exist. You're not a bad Christian. You're not doing it wrong. You're not particularly broken. Remember, trouble is expected. It's part of being human. Get from the storms. Second thing is this. Expect him to bring peace. Expect him to bring peace. Now, I did not say expect him to rearrange the circumstances. However, again... He does rearrange the circumstances for lots of people. And for others, remember, he went to the cross. He, the Prince of Peace, went to the cross. Sometimes he just shows us how to live with peace right in the midst of trouble. So expect him to bring peace. It might be on the outside. It might be on the inside. And the last thing is this. Make space for him to actually be the Prince of Peace for you. Here's what I mean. I am my own Prince of Peace most days. I find my own ways to bring peace to my heart. Sometimes it's through a, too many cocktails. Sometimes it's through another run or a workout. Sometimes it's through buying something new on the internet. Or just going down to Murdoch's and going crazy for a little bit. I find ways to be my own Prince of Peace. And I think what I do is I fill up that spot that he wants to occupy as the Prince of Peace, and then I'm wondering, why do I not have any peace? Why do I not have any peace that lasts? Well, I've got my peace all figured out on my own. So this week, let's make space for him to be the Prince of Peace. How do you do that? Here's one question. Jesus, how do you want to be the Prince of Peace for me in the midst of this chaos? Rather than having another drink or going for another run or whatever else you might do when you feel that chaos inside, maybe just that one question, Jesus, how do you want to be my Prince of Peace? Go for a walk, journal, light a candle. I give you my trouble, Jesus, and I invite you to be my peace today.